The post office has always been a political pivot point. From its very inception, the U.S. post office and the service it provides, enshrined in the Constitution though it is, has been a source of controversy and a catalyst for change. Welcome to Exit 43, the podcast where we take a deep dive into things you probably didn't know about. And today, I'd like to share the story of Gideon Granger Jr. Connecticut gave the United States one of the most talented and in some ways one of the most problematic postmaster generals we've had in history, and that was uh, Gideon Granger Jr., to tell the story of Gideon Granger, I turned to Walter Woodward. I am the state historian of Connecticut, and I'm an associate professor at the University of Connecticut. Now, before we get into the details of Granger's story, it's important to know that it's complicated. He was, for example, the longest-serving postmaster general in history. His son also became postmaster general, which was also the only time that's happened. And, as Woodward explained... Granger oversaw one of the largest expansions of the Postal Service ever undertaken. He was appointed by none other than President Thomas Jefferson in 1802 to be the nation's fourth postmaster general. Unlike most Connecticans in the early national period, he was not a Federalist. He was a Jeffersonian Republican. He was one of those Connecticans who who felt that there had been a group in power in Connecticut for way too long and they needed to transfer power and open up the vote and do a number of other things. So in the elections of uh, 1796 and 1800, Granger wrote letters uh, and published essays in support of Jefferson and Jeffersonian policies. A few years later, a little thing went down called the Louisiana Purchase, which just about doubled the size of U.S. territories. This is frankly where Granger shined. After the Louisiana Purchase, he was instrumental. One of the, he made expanding the Postal Service to the new states and territories in the West a priority, which was, this was really important both in terms of communication and making sure that uh, trade networks and personal networks work. But it was also important for the Jeffersonian Republicans because most of the new states in the West leaned toward the Republicans as opposed to the Federalist cause and having good communications with those states was very helpful too the uh, Jeffersonian Republican Party. So, on the one hand, Granger was maybe the first to set the precedent that the mail should go to the last mile, to all those hard-as-nails frontier families out in the hinterlands. But it also happened to benefit his political party. You know, he contracted out rural postal rates. He uh, reduced the price of, of uh, mailing newspapers which was, you know, that's very important if you, are, if you are advocating a political position to your base, making sure that people in distant places can get the latest news is, uh, is quite important. So Granger did that, but it's also, it was very useful for the country. So again, this blending of political self-interest and national interest worked really well. All of that is well and good, and worth a discussion on its own. But that's not the story I want to tell you. No, 
The story I want to tell you is the one in which Connecticut's own Gideon Granger Jr., the fourth Postmaster General of the United States, sends a letter to Congress warning that slaves working as mail carriers were going to rise up and rebel. The letter, as Granger wrote it, said as follows. We cannot be too cautious. Plans and conspiracies have already been concerted by slaves more than once to rise in arms and subjugate their masters. The most active and intelligent slaves are employed as post writers by traveling from day to day and hourly mixing with people. They will acquire information. They will learn that a man's rights do not depend on his color. They will, in time, become teachers to their brethren. One able man among them, perceiving the value of this machine, may lay a plan which would be communicated by post writers from town to town and produce a general and united operation against you. And his logic was this, and he was pretty explicit about it. He said, yeah, I'm paraphrasing now, but he essentially said, you know, only the smartest and the uh, most talented of the blacks in society are employed as mail carriers. And if one of them had a desire to both communicate and coordinate an uprising, there could be no better way to do it than to go from place to place as a mail carrier, delivering messages that people knew about and possibly messages that they didn't. So, yeah. I mean, there was some history there. Let me preface that by saying that since the colonial times, enslaved African-Americans and free African-Americans had been used to transfer messages from place to place. So they had a fairly long tradition at the time he took office of uh, helping to deliver communications. About a decade before, slaves in what became Haiti successfully revolted, abolishing slavery on the island. But when Napoleon came to power, it looked like the French were going to reimpose slavery. Black farmers revolted again. This was, you guessed it, 1802. The civil unrest continued for a long time, into, in, certainly into the time Granger took office. And many of the supporters of Jefferson were also Southern slaveholders. And they lived, based on the experience of Haiti, one of the things they lived in kind of constant anxiety over was the possibility of a coordinated uprising of enslaved people in America, which, you know, which over the course of the years, people did, in fact, try to bring this off from time to time. More on this in just a minute. Exit 43 is a production of Hearst, Connecticut Media. If you like this podcast, please consider subscribing to our newspapers by visiting ctinsider.com. Find more episodes of Exit 43 on our website or wherever you go for podcasts, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. Okay, welcome back. When we left, there had been a slave uprising in Haiti, and the Postmaster General warned Congress that slaves working as mail carriers were going to rise up and overthrow their masters. Of course, Congress just ignored Granger's warnings completely, and all was right with the world. Ha, no they didn't. They passed a law a few months later. 
It said, After the first day of November next, no other than a free white person shall be employed in carrying the mail of the United States on any of the post roads, either as a post rider or driver of a carriage carrying the mail. You know, Granger, in trying to be sensitive to those concerns by the uh, white Southerners, overturned that idea of having black mail carriers. And in fact, he, he, he changed the law saying that no black could carry the mail. He convinced Congress to deny blacks the right to be mail carriers, to overturn what had been a policy. I asked Woodward if he knew whether or not Granger had owned slaves himself. I do not know the answer. I will tell you, by the early 1800s, the number of slaves in Connecticut was quite low. But that, you know, that means nothing when it comes to this guy. Whether he was a slave owner or not, one of the, you know, one of the things that is true about Connecticut is that Connecticut, Connecticut had a kind of deeply embedded racism in this period. It, w- it, was, it was fairly widespread and common. Either way, it took a while for that action to be undone. About 60 years later, a little thing called the American Civil War broke out, and that was the end of the prohibition against black postal workers. Since then, a lot has changed in the Postal Service. Exactly 100 years after Granger's letter, in 1902, then-Vice President Teddy Roosevelt instituted a policy of fairness in federal appointments. There's a whole lot more history there, good and bad. But by 1960, the post office was the largest single employer of African Americans in the country, though the vast majority of black employees held lower-level positions. By the end of the 20th century, African Americans made up about 21% of the postal workforce, filling about 14% of top postal management positions. Today, about 23% of postal service workers are black, 11% are Hispanic, and 7% are Asian. Woodward wondered aloud if the diversity in the postal service would have happened sooner, if not for Granger. Well, no, that's not true, because... The federal government had its own deeply embedded racism, you know. I mean, America was a deeply racist country for a long, long, long time. This is Exit 43. Thanks to John Ferraro for providing the voice of Gideon Granger and to the artist Esther Bigfoot for being the august voice of Congress itself. My name is Jordan Fenster. If you have a story you'd like to tell, or just need to reach out, please send me an email. jordan.fenster at hearstmediact.com And thanks for listening.